Okay, we're in a little bit of pressure today. We have a baptism coming over the top of it, so I'm going to try to really go fast. I want to start out by saying that, <clears throat> excuse me, that uh, what we're witnessing with this coronavirus is the first time post-Israel that we've had a worldwide disease event. And that's a big deal. That means 1917, of course, there was no Israel. Uh, 1914, the World War, there was no Israel. But now we've had an Israel since 1948, and we have a worldwide uh, pandemic, that's a redundancy, but a worldwide uh, disease, and that, of course, is Matthew 24, Mark 13, Luke 21. Another, on another note, I can't help but notice that Christians and Jews are being affected by this, especially in New York for the Jews, and Christians are being asked to record whether or not they're attending church and so that they can be contact traced. Um, anytime you have religious uh, people, especially Jews and Christians, being identified, that always, of course, uh, should draw your attention. Okay, so here we go. May the 3rd, 2020, lecture discussion number 101. I hope that's right. Is that right? 101? Uh, we're saying it even if it isn't. On the book of Joel, Daniel, Revelation, Ecclesiastes. And before we return to the current template, uh, which you might recognize of just throwing seemingly inharmonious subjects at the holy dry erase board it uh, reverses as well so it is particularly holy because of that aspect that's what we're going to do today as as well as we've done for the last couple of weeks just to kind of get all of this material up and on the on the record for no other reason than that a couple of uh, more so incongruent items to address here really fast being that it's may the 3rd because it is may the 3rd which is the entire world now recognizes as, uh, oops, I, I gotta do this correctly. As Eve Eve. Eve Eve, Cinco de Stevo, is what we're talking about here. And some say Eve squared, Cinco de Stevo, which is, you know, mathematical. And by some, I mean me. And because this year Eve squared, Destivo, falls on a Sunday today, many letters, I mean just, oh my gosh, a tremendous amount of letters have come in, as they always do. And it, uh, they want to know if it's appropriate to open presents today. And, and of course, I am the administrator of this process. They want to know, is it okay because it's a Sunday and it's Eve, Eve, Destivo, Cinco Destivo, would... Is it better to do it today or to wait to Cinco de Stevo Eve, which would be tomorrow, or Cinco de Stevo Day, which is Tuesday? And it's customary, as everyone knows, to open presents on Cinco de Stevo Day. But we got a problem this year, of course. It's that the usual Cinco de Stevo 2020 celebration has been curtailed by COVID 2019, if not entirely canceled. I suspect it's going to be entirely canceled. Many of you, by you, I mean both of you listening, are worried about the cancellation of it because other similar events, the Olympic Games, the World Series, the World Cup, all of those have been canceled. And so the, the expectation is that Cinco de Steve will be canceled. I have a letter that is only funny to me, but it is hilarious to me and perhaps all of you who listen. From Luke, uh, dear Pastor Croster, I want to assure you that the 
stay-at-home order that is enforced here in Ohio will not dampen the festivities that are to commence this Tuesday. Again, it's, a, it's amazing how much I have taken over the world. As happens every year, the theme is determined by looking up your current age in Bollinger's numerology book. Anyone who RSVPs is required to dress up as their favorite 18th century German theologian and must phrase everything in the form of a question. The kids will be searching the entire property for previously hidden items that have a point. If they happen to find it, they celebrate with a cry of, yay, a point. We gather around our reproduction Lexan podium and read about nutritional labels. Uh, trying to guess the magnesium to calcium ratio. Loads of fun. And the kids go to bed. After the kids go to bed, the adults will play their own games, such as listening to old lectures and taking swigs of Diet Coke every time they hear, by the way. Uh, this year, I plan to debo debut sorry, Kenosis Theory, the board game. I think it will become a fixture. We used to serve lots of good food, including KFC and brisket, but lately there have been complaints about the menu, <laughs> which is replete with low-sodium options and various types of nuts. I also wanted to say I, I used to feel somewhat isolated in my weirdness, but I have discovered that Cinco de Stevo is very widely celebrated among the local Hispanic populations. I've often attempted to share in the enthusiasm with them, but being a bit of a bumpkin, I have trouble with their accent. Apparently, they have their own name for you. <laughs> they call you Zaragoza. Strange, huh? Anyway, I wanted to thank you again for what you do and for endeavoring to persevere despite the challenges. I've really enjoyed the Joel series, and I especially appreciated the Bloody Stump diversions. I wish you good health, and may God increase your tribe. Happy birthday in Huzza from Lebanon, Ohio, Lucas. And Lucas, that was fantastic, and I couldn't pass up reading that. I really couldn't. So back to when can you open presents. In light of the fact that it's probably canceled, it's acceptable to open one present today, for those of you who are asking. Uh, but waiting until Tuesday for the remaining 66 presents. So I have one today and, and then uh, 66 on Cinco de Stevo. Obviously, the totality is 67 presents. Duh. And so that would be the honored traditional protocol. Okay, along those lines, I have another letter really fast. I've got to read these because they're extraordinary. And I hope that I do this one justice. This one's a little bit more serious, but it is nonetheless extraordinary. He said, my hand is up. Oops, I forgot. Never raise your hand in Cliffside. Are you excited? It's almost 5-5 five, five to Steve O'Day. You will be a year older. And then he says this, and I'll try to give this the seriousness it deserves. He says, my father was an artist, and he would take us to the Philadelphia Art Museum, and he would look at one picture forever. We would say, let's move on. My disappointment was he never told us about its depth. It wasn't until finding Mona Lisa that I realized uh, what was there. He did the same thing with music. We would listen for hours and hours, and he would enjoy it. But he never explained the depth of the music. Luckily, my mother would take us to the symphony concerts and point out the mood, the flow, and how it all worked together. I know, why, I, I know you know why I'm sharing this. 
I could write a book on any picture in the Bible, and my complaint with you is that you caused me to lose so much sleep. Whenever I dig into a picture of Christ, I have a Bible on one side, an interlinear, and you can relate there is an endless path to pursue. I read that because that's exactly how your Bible is written, how it is designed. That is how the writers, the Jewish men that were used by the Holy Spirit to write it, that's how they think. What they're saying to you is that stare at the verse. There's something there that you're not seeing. I use the example of the picture that used to be so popular where you would stare at something and you would put your eyes out of focus and this other image would come forward. And that is what John from Pennsylvania is trying to say to us. Your Bible is written that way and he has finally figured that out. Well, not finally. He's done it for many, many years. He's a, I mean, a very impressive theologian, but he's telling me this is how he was taught to look at something, especially scripture by his father and mother. And I would encourage you all to understand that is the principle that I think that uh, Cliffside is founded on. Okay, where do we go next? Revelation 22. And um, because you see, Revelation 22 begins to discuss things that are very important. And as we see now today, that light degrades the, and ultimately kills the coronavirus. And um, ultimately, uh, it is incredibly effective on it, depending on the temperature and the humidity. And coronavirus 2019 is assumed to be likewise um, mortally jeopardized by sunlight like all the other coronaviruses. And, and there, therefore... Whenever we're talking about uh, light, um, we should be alerted to connect us, that, all of that to Genesis 1-4 and 2-9 and 2-16 and 3-22 through 24 and Genesis 1-16 through 19. Let me put that on the board. We're going to go through uh, Revelation 21, 22 to 22 through 5. And I'm trying to make you understand that that is also... Genesis 1, 4, 2, 9, 2, 16. That, of course, 2, 9, 2, 16 is tree of life and tree of knowledge of good and evil. Genesis 3, 22 and 24. And Genesis 1, 16 and 19. All of that gets us here. And all of there gets us back. And I hope you realize those, you recognize those verses because that is the light of life. John 8, 12, Christ calls himself the light of life, coming to the darkness. That's Genesis 1, 3. Genesis 1, 3 is the light of life of John 8, 12, which is something everyone who has been listening to me would recognize immediately. I'm just trying to reinforce it for those two or three people that have listened already for five minutes and turned it off or fell asleep. So I have the light of life, John 8:12, coming to the darkness and dividing the darkness from life. So I have the darkness divided from the light of life. So there's this division occurring, this dividing. And obviously the coronavirus 219 cannot reside in light for very long. It cannot withstand the light. It resides in darkness. Anyway, Genesis 2.16 and Genesis 3.22.24 are the tree of knowledge of good from evil. From. Good from, not and. 
Very important to know evil from good. And the, res- and the projection, or the protection, I'm sorry, given to the tree of life. So I have this protection of the tree of life in Genesis 3, through 24. And I have the knowledge of good from evil there as well. Genesis 1, through 19 is the establishment of the thermonuclear light source and its reflective companion. In other words, the, I, there's a thermonuclear device. We see it now in Alaska for, what, 16 hours, if it's not cloudy and raining and snowing. That's a thermonuclear device. It's a light source, and it has, a, it has the moon as a reflective uh, addition. And the central components of that, of the, of the I'm sorry, the, the sun and the moon are central components to a timepiece, to a watch that extends throughout the entire Milky Way ga- galaxy at the least, but likely the entire universe, because everything is interconnected. As you know, we have the gravitational impact of each mass and the unseen fundamental interactions that physics has identified. Strong nuclear force, weak nuclear force, gravity, and electromagnetic. Of course, the fifth is the unseen, and the unseen makes me very interested. The invisible always makes me very interested. And Revelation 21, 22 uh, through 27, and Revelation 22, 1 through 5, brings all of that that I just rattled off and more together. It brings the river of life, for example, and the mark of the Lamb. So let's read Revelation 21, 22 through 22, 5. When I say us, I mean me. But you never know, somebody might be reading along. Verse 22, chapter 21. But I saw no temple in it. Now this is talking about the city, the new city, the new Jerusalem city, if you will, the Uh, As opposed to the old Jerusalem, but I saw no temple in it for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city had no need of the sun or the moon. That's how the sun and the moon connect here. I hope you recognize that so quickly. Had no need of the sun or the moon in it for the glory of God illuminated it. The Lamb is its light, John 8, 12. He says so. And the nations of those who are saved shall walk in its light. The kings of the earth shall bring their glory and honor into it. The gates shall not be shut at all by day, and there shall be no night there. So if they're not shut at the daytime, and there's only daytime, then they're never shut. And they shall bring the glory and the honor of the nations into it, but there shall by no, but there shall by no means enter it anything that defiles or causes an abomination or a lie, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. 22 verse 1, and he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and the Lamb. In the middle of its street and on either side of the river was the tree of life, which bore 12 fruits, each fruit yielding to its, yielding its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree were the healing of the nations for the healing of the nations, and there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him. They shall see his face, and his name shall be on their foreheads. There shall be no night there, in case you didn't get it. They need no lamp or light of sun, for the Lord God gives them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. So hopefully, I have to go fast. Again, there's a drowning at 5 o'clock. And I hope you're keeping up with me. I, I know that it's difficult to keep up with me because I intentionally try to lose everyone that I can every Sunday. It's part of my process. 
Okay, we need non-caffeinated, non-sodium, mildly sodium. I do need the electrolyte that is sodium. I just can't have as much as I like. So where is it? what's the context of what I just read? Uh, again, to repeat it, it's the city of New Jerusalem and the restoration of all things, or the eighth day. I have seven days, as you know, seven days. And then I have an eighth day. Seven thousand year millenniums. Seven thousand year periods that span a thousand years. That's redundant. I'm just trying to beat it in. And I have an eighth day that goes into perpetuity, infinity. Again, the eighth day has no ending, though God has, in fact, ended some things here. He tells you that. And that, thus it is for us to ask, why has he ended that which he has ended, and why hasn't he ended that which he has not ended? For example, there is no temple in the city of Jerusalem. But there is a city of Jehovah Jireh Salam, Genesis 22:14. That is what Abraham says. God has provided peace, Jehovah Jireh Salam, Jerusalem. So that takes you back to Isaac and Abraham. And the thermonuclear device is ended, it says. And that's too bad because we were just getting excited about hydrogen fusion and plutonium ignition uh, through a fission device and having a replica of the sun on the Marshall Islands. Everyone loved that lecture. Everyone. I mean everyone. How many people have watched that lecture? Did you see? I'm talking to somebody who may or may not exist. But let's see. How many people watched the H-bombs uh, First Roots lecture? Did I get over, get over 25,000 like that? No, I got what? Yes? No. 200 and some. There's 200 people that wanted to know about hydrogen bombs on First Roots. Now that is fantastic. You've, I mean, I couldn't ask for more than that. But the thermonuclear device in the sky is ended. There's no more sun, as is the moon. So what I, if I make the case, and I have many times in the past, that this is a, a timing mechanism. He put it in place on the fourth day to start a countdown clock. And it's been noted for many generations by multiple theologians that they recognize the time element of this, the starting of the motion. He initiated the motion with his voice because that's resonance. Resonance causes vibration. Vibration causes motion. But that watch is stopped, if you wish to think of it that way. And I should say, it's, maybe it's stopped. It's sort of it's stopped. It certainly stopped with respect to the city, the New Jerusalem. And I will assume that everyone realizes the incompatibility of eternity and the purpose of the fourth day. I have the purpose of the fourth day as a countdown clock that lasts 7,000 years. And it ends after the 75-day interval, after the sheep and the goats. Uh, after the millennium, which is here, and then the eighth day has no timepiece. I hope that made sense. I didn't say it very clearly. But I want everybody to, to consider the incompatibility of eternity and the purpose of the, of the clock that begins oops, sorry, here on the fourth day.
of creation. The starting of the countdown, if you will, want to think of it that way. The Shekinah glory, this is a Shekinah glory reference. The Lamb is the light and the light is continuous. In the city there is no darkness. Why isn't there darkness in the city? Believe it or not, there are there is a very strong view, and don't dismiss it. There is a view by learned theologians that says darkness is not to be identified with death and evil, and that it will continue. There will be darkness in the eighth period, which isn't a day. It is a day, but it's an eternal or infinite day. So you'll run into that if you begin to research this, as you should. And the question is, if I'm right... How can that not be? And the darkness has been removed. I want to know where is the darkness now? After it's been removed in this eternal day. What causes darkness? Who causes darkness? The triune God does not reside in a temple. He has always been in a temple. or He's had four temples. And he's been in a temple. Now he doesn't want a temple. The entire city is his temple. So there isn't an individual temple, but the entire city is his dwelling. So to recap, no more temple, no sun, no moon, light. The lamb is the light, light only. The lamb is the light. Uh, The primeval light, Genesis 1, 3. Uh, Note that the primeval light is on the earth, days 1 through 3. That is really a shock, isn't it? So I have three days and three nights of the light of life. When I have that division, that's the sign of Jonah, as you recognize. Obviously, there's no COVID-19 in the city because the city uh, COVID-19 can't sustain light, especially this kind of light, <coughs> which, as you know, is not particle, not photon-based light. It's not created light. It's uncreated primeval light. I should interject here that there is a view, which I said. Let's do a little bit more. That the sun and the moon don't provide light to the new city. So I have an earth and I have a city. And the city is massive. If you do the math, you'll see how massive it is. And I haven't drawn it to scale. Some people will say, well, this looks like a snowman. So, but that's the best you get for today. But they'll say there still is a sun and there still is a moon. And however, their their light, which would be particle-based light, is on the earth and because of the word month, which is a time reference, and we'll get to that in a minute, there must be some kind of rotational system still, still in place. And they use Psalm 148.3 and Revelation 21.1. So that's the sun and the moon providing light to the new earth, not the new city. If that makes any sense to anybody. But that's just for those who like to investigate, and you should. There are, however, nations, the healing of the nations, the nations are coming through the gate. The nations of those who are saved and kings of the earth and gates that never shut. Why have gates that never shut? If you're never going to shut the gates, why do you even have the gates? Whenever you're talking about gates that don't shut, where are you now in the Old Testament? What's the complement to Revelation 21? Uh, 22 through 27. I'm going to submit that it's Judges 16, 2 through 3. Samson takes a set of gates from a city and he tore these massive gates 
out of the ground, out of their foundations. He carried them up a hill 38 miles away and he threw them into a valley off the other side of the hill, in my opinion. Definitely, it was almost 40 miles. So it made it really difficult for the people that built the gate to go get the gates and put the gates back into place. So he tore them completely off. Judges 16, 2 through 3, therefore provides the Old Testament commentary on Revelation 21 through 25. The gates that never shut are forever open. So the door is always open. John 10, 9, I am the door, Christ says. God has gates. God has gates in his new city that never shut. And note the freedom aspect of that. There is absolute freedom. God likes freedom. There is no captivity. You are not locked in the new city of Jerusalem. Whereas Samson, again, ripped the gates from their foundations and therefore he freed those who were imprisoned in that city that were enslaved. So there's again the ultimate contrast. The truth of Christ alongside the lie of Satan. Freedom versus enchainment or subjugation. And only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life, Revelation 13.8, Revelation 17.8, enter into God's city. That is again the new Jerusalem. Contrast to the old Jerusalem or comparison. In the great city, the new Jerusalem is this incredible pure river of life. He showed me a pure river of water of life. Living water, life water. There is no sea, there is no sun, there is no evaporation, there is no rain, there is no hydraulic or hydrologic, hydro, uh, hydrologic cycle. Sorry, can you say it? There's none of that. And yet, I have a river. Rivers need water. So what is the source of the water in this river? Intentionally, poorly worded question. The correct question would, would reveal the answer, so I didn't ask the correct question. I asked, what is the source of the water? Instead of the correct question, who is the source of the water? The living water. Remember that living water and living blood came out of Christ at his crucifixion. The Apostle John reveals this in John 19.34 and 1 John 5.6-8. The Apostle John, whose single focus is to present Christ as God himself in the flesh, Make sure that you know that living blood and living water came out of Christ at his crucifixion. This is he who came by water and blood, 1 John 5, 6 through 8. Jesus Christ, not only by water, but by water and blood. So he is tying you to the crucifixion in 1 John 5, 6 through 8. He's tying you to Revelation 22, 1 with the living water. And it is the Spirit who bears witness because the Spirit is truth. For there are three that bear witness in heaven, the Father, the Word. That takes you to John 1. In the beginning was the Word. There are three, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Spirit. And these three are one. That's the Shema, Deuteronomy 6.4. And there are three that bear witness on earth, the Spirit, the water, and the blood. And these three agree as one. So your triune doctrine. So that's a triune verse. John is focused in his books relentlessly declaring the Godhood of Jesus Christ. That's what he does. That's his whole point. And, and giving the proofs of that. And he ties Revelation 22.1 to John 19.34. Out of Christ comes, come, out of Christ flows when he's on the cross, living blood and living water. It's got to be alive because he's life. 
It can't be corrupted. Psalms tells us, Acts tells us, that his body did not go to corruption. Can't go to corruption. So out of Christ flows living water. And living blood takes away sin, as we know. And living water takes away thirst, as God defines thirst. Both blood and water, living blood and living water, must flow from Christ. They have to flow. And now in the middle of the street of the new city, on either side of the river of living water, the pure river of water of life, is this tree, is the tree of life, Genesis 2.9. I will. So now we're back in Genesis. The tree of life, the tree of Genesis 2.9. And it is forever established, spanning across the river of the water of life with 12 fruits, which implies, which infers 12 months. So I have months, it even says months. I have 12 fruits and I have 12 months. And so it implies that I have a 360-day year again. That's restored to the Hebrew calendar versus the Gregorian. And I have 12 fruits and uh, 360 days. Do the math. Use your phones. Why do I have months? Why do I have a time reference, a time structure, a dating system? How complex is a dating system? And that is why some believe that there is a sun and moon and a rotational system. Isaiah 45.7 and Psalm 148.3 is how they, they take those verses and interpret that there is still a sun and a moon. Uh, I'll discuss that, not today. We don't have time. I'll get to it in the weeks to come. It's in my notes to, to clean that up. But you, you can start out by those two verses, those of you who want to be teacher's pets. Um, they Again, they, they draw a a distinction between the lighting systems of the new city of Jerusalem and that of the new earth. Again, more on this debate in the subsequent lectures. For today, consider the obvious question. Who's on the new earth? I've got a new earth. Who's on it? Does the, the river of water of life flow out of the city, out of Christ, comes out of Christ, does it get down to the new earth? Because the city is above and descends onto the earth, I assume that it lands in a specific place that God knows about. Does the river come out and water the entire earth? I'm going to draw it correctly. That is brilliant work, artwork. We'll go ahead and frame that. And we'll start. What can we get it on? Is it eBay? Can I get it on some some? Opening bid, what do you think? Uh, infinity. We could use the money, trust me. Probably, probably not. N-A-U-G-H-T, which of course is that. That amount will be forthcoming. But that is as good as most I have seen lately. Anyway, you probably think I've lost where I am, because I usually do. Who's on the new earth? Does the river of water of life flow into the new earth? Do those who enter through the forever open gates, do they exit through the forever open gates? If they leave the city, do they go to the new earth? Why would they go to the new earth? For what purposes would they go to the new earth? What are they doing on the new earth? What is the relationship to the new earth, to the city? 
Where in scripture can I find a relationship of these two particular pieces? Because I have two pieces. And yes, I see you checking your watch, wondering what time. When's he going to make him stop? We have a new visitor. And he's going, get this man out of here. You heard him laugh. You know it's true. Comedy has to have an element of truth in it to be funny. Okay. If they leave the city, do they go to the new earth? Or why do they go? Keep in mind the, uh, Genesis 2, 8 through 10. God planted a garden and there he put the man. The tree of life was also in the midst of the garden. Now a river went out of Eden to water the garden and from there it parted and became four river heads. That's why my painting or my picture has four things that I think are rivers. Is the pure river of the water of life providing a four-distributary watering system into the new earth as well as the new Jerusalem? That's my question. Has God reestablished his original design? Has he taken what happened in Genesis and replicated it in Revelation, adding pieces, but mostly keeping the original design, if not overwhelmingly? And there can be no mistaking the relationship. The complementary natures of Revelation 22, 1 through 2 and Genesis 2, 8 through 10. John the Revelator certainly knew that he was referencing Genesis 2, 8 through 10 when he wrote Revelation 22, 1. I don't think there's any controversy about that. So let's repeat the obvious. Genesis and, Re and Revelation are bound together. The beginning is restored at the end. This is a book of restoration. I used to know a church that would repair old cars called themselves the Church of Restoration. I had an old car. I had a, a Pontiac hot rod is what I had. Lori loved it, didn't you, Lori? She did love it. I had that thing when it was running well over 140 miles an hour in my misspent youth. It was incredible. It rocked back. I saw one for sale, restored. Lori and I gave ours away because it sat in the driveway. What's that? Uh, yeah, because I wouldn't fix it for her. I, and we gave it to a mechanic who immediately grabbed onto it and, and wept, didn't he? And he took it somewhere and we never saw it again. I saw one for sale, except it was a 350 Chevelle, not a 454 uh, rocket. So we had a 454. Wow. It got, it got maybe a half a gallon to a, uh, to a hundred yards or something like that. It was not really good. But I saw a, a 72 Chevelle gold station wagon. Same color, same design as our 454. And it sold for over $30,000. So we were stinking rich. And never knew it, which is what we are now. Stinking and rich of something, and we don't know it. So we're still oblivious and delusional. But boy, oh boy, was that a great car. Why did I bring that up? Restoration. The purpose of the end is to return to the beginning, if that makes sense. That's what God's doing. He liked his, uh, his design. He intends to keep it as much as he will. Now let us attempt to move along. Uh, it says his servant, his servants, <laughs> servants shall see his face. So those of us who are in the city will see the face of God. 
And the mark of the Lamb will be on their forehead. So there will be a mark on the forehead. I don't need to tell you the contrast. The mark of the beast. Revelation 13, 15 through 18. Revelation 14, 9 through 11. I also note that Cain received a mark, right? Genesis 4, 15. And the Lord said to him, Cain. Therefore, whoever kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord set a mark on Cain, lest anyone finding him should kill him. What's the implication in that verse? It's obvious, to me at least. It's obvious that Cain was going to be killed by somebody. Put a mark on him. and said He didn't say the mark is going to protect Cain. The mark is just there. When you kill Cain, I'm coming after you sevenfold. Obviously, Cain was killed. The whoever that killed Cain happened to be somebody. Whoever found Cain killed him, the whoever. And most theologians think it was Lamech, Genesis 4, 23 through 24. And again, no time to address that this week. An amazing verse and passage. Just notice that Cain was hidden from the face of God and men searched for him to kill him. Obviously, he is a Israel typology. In any event, those in the New Jerusalem will see the face of the Lamb, Matthew 17, 2. That's the transfiguration. They saw the face of the Lamb as it really is, as it is revealed in Matthew 17, 2. There's no night there. And now I'm asking, what is there? Is there the entire picture or is there just this part of the picture? That increased the value. Hang on. No, that's too strong. I just don't want to go into decimals. I do like that, I have to say. Cain was hidden from the face of God and men searched for him to kill him. And he was not allowed to see the face of God. But in the New Jerusalem, we will see the face of God. And that was seen in Matthew 17, 2. And there's no night there. Which there is it? Is it the whole there or just that there? There's no lamp needed. There's no light of the sun. The Lord gives them light. Now, that's the ultimate question. Why not just keep the sun? He doesn't do that. Why does the lamb give the light aside from Genesis 1-3? The light of life in Genesis 1-3 caused this explosion of life and creation. Better question. What if he didn't give the light? He removes the created light. And he replaces it again with himself, uncreated God. And that is again Genesis 1-3, the first three days and three nights life. The prime light, the primal light, the light of glory of the Lord, the light of life. I keep repeating because I'm trying to pound in who it is that is Genesis 1-3 and John 8-12. And I will submit that a portion of the answer to the way of the removal of the created thermonuclear device as a light source is to openly demonstrate that he is. In other words, let me say that better. He eliminates the thermonuclear light source. And by doing so, light is everywhere. There is no non-light. So is there any shadows? Is there any darkness of any kind? How much permeability, or better word, how much marination of the light is there? In the New Jerusalem. I think it openly demonstrates his omnipresence. Because he is omnipresent. 
And if he's omnipresent, he has to be omniscient. And if he's omniscient, he has to be omnipotent. And if he's omnipotent, omniscient, and omnipresent, he must be omnibenevolent. Always good. Sinless. And so, therefore, there is no more under the thermonuclear device. That is Ecclesiastes. That's the theme of Ecclesiastes. Solomon constantly says, under the thermonuclear device. There is no more in the new city. At minimum, at it's either part of it or the entire creation. Under the thermonuclear device. You've probably read that. There is nothing new under the thermonuclear device. Ecclesiastes 1.9. All is vanity grasping of the wind under the thermonuclear device. Ecclesiastes 1.14. I hated life because of the work that was done under the thermonuclear device. Ecclesiastes 2.17. There is evil which I have seen under the thermonuclear device. Ecclesiastes 6.19.3 and 10.5. Matthew 5.45. He makes the sun rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the just and the just. Unjust. I said that bad. He makes the thermonuclear, his thermonuclear device, rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. That's the Sermon of the Mount. That's another reason. Not only does it show his omnipresence and therefore all of his omnipotence and omnibenevolence and omniscience, but it also is, has a goodness element to it in the sense that he, it's justice. He makes his sun rise on the evil and the good. Reading that statement from Jesus Christ, who is the Lamb of Light, in the context to which it's given, you're going to find that the giving of the sun and the rain to the evil and the good is a demonstration of his omnibenevolence, his goodness, his love. If, and he says so, if one loves only those who love him, what reward is that? If I only love people that love me, what good is that? He implies that God loves those who don't love him, doesn't he? And he does. Thank you. I see the hand. Be perfect as the Father is perfect. The hand is a warning for the new visitor that if I don't hurry up, she shuts me down. Yeah, so she's pretty critical. I'm under pressure now. The only light source in God's city is supernatural light. It is unceasing, constant, evident Evidence and a reminder that he is the one who gives life and existence, who is love itself and ultimately the only source of light. There is no light without him. He is the strong nuclear force of the four five. Oh, he's the he's the he is the of the four interactions. He's all four interactions. If there is a fifth, as the physicists are surmising, he's the fifth one, too. He's everything and all things. Okay, time to now to start the lecture. How much time do I have? Oh, I'm roaring here. Yeah, I'm doing great. Second Kings 5 is the lecture. Hi, Sherman. Naaman the Syrian, Elisha the prophet. And this is going to be the finale for now on Second Kings 5. If you haven't heard the first, how many have I done so far on this particular diversion? If you exist, supper day. He didn't hear me. He's fast asleep like everybody else. I think I've, this is the fifth one. It might be the fourth one. I'm not sure. It goes back to 2009. But it's going to be the finale for now. Uh, because of my rapid succumbing to the aging process, I can't be confident that I'll ever get back to 2 Kings 5. So let's hope that this is going to survive. suffice. <clears throat> I must say that I'm thrilled to read all the emails that you guys have sent me on this 2 Kings 5 little rabbit trail that I've, uh, that, uh, I've received uh, uh, quite a few. And they are excellent. 
I got one right here that I, I wish I had time to read, but I don't. Uh, maybe I'll get it in the future. It is incredible. It, it's from, uh, again, John from Pennsylvania. I could just read it and, and just in, in place of the rest of this lecture today. It's especially rewarding for any teacher, and I've been a teacher a lot longer than I thought when I count my railroad career and I count the public uh, school system and I count the private school system and I count uh, whatever we call cliffside. Uh, I've been a teacher a long time, and it's really incredibly fulfilling to witness the class just take off without me. And that's what's happened here with uh, you folks with respect to Second Kings 5. I see the class leap forward by themselves without any interference from me whatsoever. And most of what I do is interference. It's intentional. I like doing it. But I put more obstacles up than I do bridges. As you know, the purpose is to make you build the bridges. That's the plan. And I have evidence that it has worked phenomenally here recently. We pretty much left off with the two mule loads that Naaman requested. I'm not going to eliminate that. Just I'm hoping that you have got the, the, the previous four or five lectures. Second Kings 5.17. Naaman requested two mule loads of dirt. And he says, then if not, please, please. I added the please. Please. Let me jump up and down. Please. That's as high as I get. Let your servant be given two mule loads of earth. I got to have two mule loads. And that is Naaman's response to Elisha because Elisha refused payment for salvation. He says, as the Lord lives before whom I stand. Now, let me say it right. As the Lord lives before whom I stand, I will receive nothing. Second Kings 5.16. So when Elisha tells Naaman that, Naaman said, then, then please let, let, let me, your servant, I'm your servant. Be given two mule loads of earth. Second Kings 5.15. Now Ammon returned to the man of God after he was washed seven times. And his leprosy gone. And all of his aides came with Naaman. Every aide came with him. Every servant. How many was that? This is the chief commander of the Syrian army. How many servants does he have? How much protection does he have? Naaman returned to the man of God and all of his aides and stood before him. So I just want you to notice that. That stood. Okay, I put it on there. Found a spot. Elisha said just before that, I stay, but you know, I'm not going to stand before God having taken payment. Stood, stand, or stand, stood. Actually, it stood, stand, stood, but I'll get to that in a minute. So Naaman, after he is healed, returns to Elijah and stood before Elijah. Indeed, now I know, he said. Now I know. I know. Now I know. I don't feel something. I know something. I know that there is no God in all the earth except in Israel. And because Naaman knows this, he makes a request. He wanted to give him money. He's not going to take money, and we all know why. I'll cover it in a minute for those who don't. But he makes. Are you? You're not. Stop. What is. Yeah. 
Boy, I'm living right on the edge now. You should see the front row. That is not. <laughs> I can't tell people what she's doing. <laughs> oh, oh, you're trying to get your glasses in the right position. I, I'm suspicious. <laughs> yeah, I see there's multiple function here. Okay. I'm obviously feeling okay today. I didn't this morning. I felt pretty bad this morning. But because Naaman knows this, now I know that there is no God in all the earth except in Israel. Because he knows it, he makes a request for the two mule loads of dust of the earth. Because he wants the dust of this particular place. And, and he can't give payment. So he says, if you won't take money, please let me have two mule loads of dust of the earth. So the two mule loads of the dust of the earth are the resultant of what Naaman knows. And he knows there's one God only, the God of Israel. And Elisha, he, who will stand in front of this one living God, will not do so having received payment for the truth of salvation by grace through the blood of Christ. To do so would be an act of evil. If you've been here, you know the leprosy of Naaman has been transferred to Gehazi, who did take payment. And that is an abomination. That is an act of wickedness. You cannot pay for salvation. It is untenable mathematically for no other reason. It's stupid. But you can't give it because it's evil as well. So after he knows that there's one God only and you don't pay for my salvation. I can't pay for my salvation. As for he knows those two truths. Ooh. How many? Two? That's probably a con- complete accident that he has two mule loads and two tooths. Two tooths? Two tooths? Uh, those two mule loads uh, are directly reflected in what has happened to him, what he knows. And I said, request the dust of the earth. Genesis 2.7, Genesis 3.19. The two mule loads and the doctrine of grace and knowing the true and only God are intermeshed. To word it another way. The motive for t- taking and asking for the two mule loads is connected to the Shema. Deuteronomy 6.4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. It's connected to Isaiah 45.21-22. through 22. There is no other God besides me, a just God and Savior. There is none besides me. Look to me and be saved, all you, all you on the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. That's two things. Or one thing that, uh, I'm sorry, that Naaman learned. The other thing that he learned is can't take payment. Can't pay for it. Isaiah 45, 21 through 22 sums up what Naaman knew and what Elijah taught him by refusing payment for salvation. The blood of Christ must be given. It must be free. Infinity cannot be purchased. Thus, my joke fits in perfect right here at the end. Infinity cannot be purchased. It's impossible to buy or earn or work for infinity. How long does it take to pay off infinity? You have to be infinite. We are not. We are finite. These two truths are why Naaman wanted the two mule loads of dust of the earth. One of the reasons. And therefore why Elisha said, I asked last week, why does he give him permission? Because he knew that Naaman knew. And therefore Elisha says, go in peace. And it said, he departed from him a short distance. Well, there's a a problem there. Who's the he in that? 
Who departed from who? Did Elisha depart from Naaman a short distance? Or did Naaman depart from Elisha a short distance? Who's the he and who's the him? And he departed from him. Is he Elijah and him Naaman? How short is a short distance? Why did it happen, this short distancing? As opposed to social distancing. I know. Couldn't stop myself there. You think about that while I'm going to back the bus up to 2 Kings 5.9. Naaman is told by a little girl, go find the prophet in Samaria. Go be amongst the Samaritans. And Naaman went with his horses and chariot and stood. I got them out of order, but there's three. There's two studs and a stand. So he he went to the house, Elisha's house, and stood before Elisha. And he went to Elisha's house after he was healed and stood again a second time. Second Kings 5.15. Did Elisha ever come out of the house? And what's a house? What's the house of God? Of the man of God. Note that the, again, Elisha says, as the Lord lives before whom I stand. So Nahaman stands before Elisha, and Elisha knew that he would stand before Christ Jesus. Anyway, the two mule loads, two birds of Leviticus 14. I've got two birds of Leviticus 14. I have two mule loads. I have two birds of Genesis 15. I have two trees of Genesis 2.17 and 2.9. I have two witnesses of Revelation 11. I have the wife of Israel, the bride. I have... Two divisions of the Bible. I have the witness of the Old Testament, the witness of the New Testament. I've got two advents of Christ. Christ comes twice. Clearly, the number two has the elements of division. I've got light from darkness, light from death, good from evil, sheep from goats. And and witness, it also means witness. I've got testimony. I've got testifying. I've got two tablets, two spies. I've got Noah and Lot. Again, the two witnesses. And I would add, of course, I've got existence, consciousness, mind, soul, spirit, and will. That's one, all, the, all together one thing, and I have a body. So I have body and soul. I've got male-female. All this too. The point is, yay, finally a point. All the way to here, we make a point. The two mule loads of dust of the earth have connectivity to those facets. I just ran off to the facets of the number two. If it is witness, if it is testimony, then the two bags of dust reflect the two truths that Naaman now believes. He's going to go testify of these two truths. Somehow the dust and those truths fit together. John 1.3 tells me, though, that the God of Israel is the creator of all things. Colossians 1.15.17 and Romans 1.16.17. The gospel truth of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. And the just shall live by faith. Habakkuk 2.4, Galatians 3.11. So to whom does Naaman wish to witness if this is witness? You've got, he, we have a list. His wife, 2 Kings 5.2, the young girl, captive. She's, she's Israel, a, a girl of Israel. She's a slave, captured by him. That she lo- and she loves him and says so. She wants him to live. 2 Kings 5.3. She already knows, I think. She knew that Elijah was a prophet. She knew that Elijah could heal him. So does she need to be testified to? Probably not. The king of Syria. king of Syria doesn't want him to die. I've got to really hurry now. People are coming. His servant, 2 Kings 5.13. His army. He has a huge army, 2 Kings 5.1. The dust is evidence of something. It's how is the dust proof? Or is it all and everyone that he would see 
because whoever saw him would know that he had the flesh of a little child and everyone would see him. His testimony would be of his imminent death. But then his miraculous salvation from death. Did Naaman know that this was Genesis 2-7? I don't think he knew it at the beginning, but he certainly knew it at the end. This is the site of the making of the body of Adam. That is why he is in this spot. That is why he wanted these two bags of dust of the earth. I submit he did learn it, likely from Elijah. Elijah knew this location really well. See 2 Kings 6. Therefore, Naaman would know that he represented Adam here. I said last Sunday that Adam would have, would have returned to the, as, as instructed in, in, by God in Genesis 3.19. When he died, he was to return to the dust from which he was made. That's general to all of us, but it was specific to him because he knew where the dust of which he was made was. He was incredible. His intelligence is unimaginable to us. And so at his death, I'm convinced that he went there and returned himself to the place at which he was formed, his body. Of course, his existence, his soul, his spirit, his mind, his eternal. Would Eve then, what would she do when she died? Would she, I'm assuming that he outlived her, because that's just the way it works nowadays. That's why we buy life insurance, so that our surviving wives can buy Porsches. That's how, that's the process. What would he have done when it was time for her to die? It's all speculation, but what would she have done? Would she have come to die in the same place that Adam died? Or would she have gone to the place where he was asleep? Again, you'd have to read that to know that he's in the garden after he is made. So this is an outside of the garden place and it is a pre-diluvian or or anti-diluvian pre-flood. Thus, the two mules loads would have evidentiary proof. That's a redundancy of Genesis 2.7 and Genesis 2.21-23. Now, Ammon effectively experienced a death, a burial, and a resurrection, giving him a relationship with the seven days of Jonah and Lazarus, because Jonah's had three days and three nights, and Lazarus had four days. So of the sign of Jonah, of those two, I have three day, or seven days. And, of course, Christ himself. So those relationships exist. And those of uh, Matthew 27, 42, the, the ones that came out of the graves at the resurrection of Christ, or the crucifixion of Christ. Though Noaman was not physically dead like Jonah and Lazarus, he was barely alive, only barely alive. He was minutes from death, I believe. And Noaman is a type of Adam because Adam is a type of Christ, Romans 5, 14. So you have a transitive property there. Noaman, a great and honorable man. Seven times baptized in the very exact place in the river as Christ himself, Matthew 3. Again, Christ is there because he knows why he's there. He's omniscient. Does Naaman, a type of Adam, have the dust of Adam? Is that what he's doing? Does, does he have the dust of Eve? No. Now, I have a flood. But he does he take it from that location because he knows the importance of that location that's where the axe head is floated. That's where the Ark of the Covenant goes through. That's where Christ is baptized. That's where Naaman is, is soaked. Seven times. Washed seven times. Does he have the dust of Adam and the dust of Eve? Does he intend to bury himself with that dust when he dies? He's thinking about something. And what does all of that have to do 
with the two blood tunics, the two garments of Adam and Eve. Next week, we'll answer that, maybe. Maybe.